All right, let's get this thing out of the way. Um, this is not a podcast that I'm looking forward to doing, uh, but I did say that uh, I was going to be doing one a week, and it's Friday, January 18th, so that one week has come upon us, and I've been putting this thing off because I don't want to do it. Um, and I'm in a crappy spot to do it. I'm in an echoey phone booth at my co-working space, so it's probably going to sound like garbage. Which, perhaps it's fitting because the uh, topic feels like garbage um, to begin with. And we're just going to dive right in. We're going to rip the band-aid off and uh, yank that tooth out. Um, which reminds me that of my father-in-law, he, he does not get uh, anesthetics. He does not get anesthetics when he goes to the dentist. So they're like drilling and grinding and pulling and who knows what, and he doesn't get anesthetics. Weird to me. Um, and I have terrible allergies, so this is gonna be like snoshy and runny nosy. And I can even hear my own words echoing, so I'm trying to talk kind of quiet. Um, all right, let's just dive in. It's like it's like joining the Polar Bear Club. You jump in 32-degree weather into 28-degree water. <laughs> that would be impossible. You'd break your tailbone. Pastures and pornography. Pastures and pornography. You say, well, why are you bringing this one up, Brandon? What's your agenda now? What bone do you have to pick now? Um, really none. Um, just over the course of Christmas break, uh, at our particular place of worship, we had uh, first the youth pastor get fired on the spot uh, for what was communicated to us as an ongoing addiction to online pornography. Um, and then a week later, I think it was a week later, maybe exactly a week, somewhere in that next week, uh, we got notified that the senior pastor had been put on a six month sabbatical for a similar issue. Now I could get into, you know, hey, if it's fireable for one, why isn't it fireable for the other? Um, I could get into all that stuff, but that doesn't really go anywhere. In fact, I think a lot of people in our church are trying to go down that road, and it's really driving a wedge between people because some of them, you know, want their heads on platters, and the other ones um, want there to be consistency that if it's fireable for one, then it should be fireable for the other, or if it's sabbatical material for one, then it's sabbatical material for the other. Um, and there's a lot of angry people at our church. Um, I've talked to a couple families who've said that they are done with church. Um, they have said that, you know, they can't even believe that you would continue to even ponder church as a result of this. Um, but I want to bluntly talk about pastors and pornography. And I'm just going to regurgitate to you uh, observations and thoughts that I've written down over the last week, actually the last couple weeks, but I've kind of uh, solidified them into some more main points this last week as I've been thinking about this topic. And the first observation is that we hold pastors to way too high a standard. Um, we idolize them, we expect them 
to meet our needs. They're supposed to entertain us. They're supposed to feed our souls. They're supposed to um, inspire us to be better people. We judge their sermons every single week. We say, eh, it was kind of flat this week. Um, or, wow, can you really believe you sure had the spirit that week? Um, and we hold them up way too high. And we are at the same time way too critical of them. Um, and you're going, geez, talk about the pot calling the kettle black, Muth. You're the most critical person of pastors on the face of the earth. No, I'm critical of pastorpreneurs who are trying to make money off the backs of the of God's people. That's in my mind. That's a different uh, bone to pick. Wow, you're an expert at justifying your own actions. Whatever. Um, I probably am, but not as it relates to this particular topic. <laughs> So we hold them up too high, we elevate them, and then we're way too critical of them. And what it does is it creates these islands for them. So I've, I, I've talked to several pastors who, you know, they, they begin to feel isolated. And partly it's the congregation's doing for holding them in too high esteem. And partly it's their fault for separating themselves from the people and... Um, you know, not wanting to be involved in their lives as shepherds, but wanting to ascend the mountain of intellectualism and influence by delivering these great oratory, um, you know, these great orations uh, to, to get famous and, and to, you know, get invited to other places or to get compliments with their fellow pastors. I think the practical outcome of this, uh, the fact that we hold pastors in too high regard and there's, you know, that we sort of encourage them to become isolated and they take actions themselves to isolate themselves. We remove from them 1 John 1, 9 as a real uh, possibility in their lives. And you go, well, what does 1 John 1, 9 say? And my response would be to say, well, memorize your stinking scripture, people. But I'll read it to you. Um, it's the classic verse that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By holding these pastors up too high and creating a culture that isolates them, we're really removing 1 John 1, 9 as a real possibility for them. And... If you've been in the Christian faith for any length of time, you know that the sincere confession of your sins in prayer before God is one of the most vital tools in our toolbox or in God's toolbox to continue to grow us and to sanctify us because it fits what the truths of our nature. It fits the truths of why Christ came. He said, I did not come for the, the healthy, because the, the, the healthy are no, not in need of a doctor, but I came for the sick. Um, I, came to save, I came to save sinners. Um, and you see that throughout his life and ministry, where he is continually rebuking and chastising the self-righteous, and he is continually showing mercy and extending grace and reaching out to change the lives of those who are 
not just like struggling with the the outskirts of sin or the you know the the edges the innocent edges of sin but that are like neck deep in mire and you go oh why does that word mire sound so familiar oh because it harkens back to psalm you know he rescued me from the miry pit um that's a psalm right calvary turned it into a worship song but i think they just they just plagiarized it from the book of psalms i'm pretty sure um yeah i'm sure it is but i want to verify because i don't want to get accused of being a oh he makes some good points but he's not biblically accurate uh mire miry pit kjv i always count on the kjv i knew it was psalm yep psalm 40 he brought me up also out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings the old king jimmy um and apologies for sniffing so much my allergies are just atrocious at the moment um so yeah you know when we remove first john 1 9 as a real possibility for pastors um it's no wonder that there are so many scandalous moral failings in the church you know, Tulian Tavichkin and Bob Coy. And I was reading about some Calvary pastor that I didn't even know about who is serving 16 years in prison for like sexually molesting his his daughters. And then his wife committed suicide four months after the the charges broke. And I mean, just horrible, 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 horrible stuff. I read about a PCA pastor, I think it was last summer. It was either summer 2000, maybe it was the fall of 2017. But there was a PCA pastor here in Central Florida who was fired and arrested um, for allegedly possessing, you know, tens of thousands of, of child pornography uh, content, videos, pictures, whatever. Um, you know, and I'm sure whatever vein of the church you've grown up in, you could name one or two or three or ten uh, similar stories of, you know, sexual abuse by pastors in the church. My hunch is that that is obviously it's due to the fact that they're depraved, that they they share our same fallen nature. But I think practically, I, I just wonder how much of that is due to the fact that we remove First John one nine from their repertoire of Christian faith. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Who's a pastor going to go confess that to? Because we have this thing, and, and, and the scripture says, you know, it must be blameless, the husband of one wife, all these things. But pastors still have sin. Who are they going to go confess that to? They go and confess it to someone. It shatters their paradigm of them upholding this person as being this incredible man of God. And so that, that we, we take that most vital resource out of these pastors' toolboxes, and it's no wonder that they get wrapped around the axle on some of these uh, affection vices, these, these sexual sin vices. Um, I think the other thing that contributes to this is we let them, we are permissible, and, and this is both the congregations and the structure of evangelicalism at large. We let pastors get away with loving two-thirds of the world. And not only do we let them get away with loving two-thirds of the world, 
we spiritualize the two-thirds of the world in which they love and gobble down. And you go, well, what's two-thirds of the world? I don't understand. This is confusing. I think your allergies, your allergy medication is impacting your thought processes. While I pop on, while I pop open a LaCroix, a LaCrux. Ooh, that sounds nice. It's gonna taste actually it's gonna taste like garbage because it's the unflavored one. It's just carbonated soda water. Why? Yeah. I have been drinking super greens lately. And by lately, I mean since yesterday. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm getting kind of sick and tired of coffee, even though my wife and kids did get me an espresso for Christmas, which is, if you don't have an espresso, you're missing out on one of the finer graces of God's creation. Wow, it's so good. Frothy, comes out of there just a nice espresso shot. And then I actually double brew each espresso packet, which it says, don't double brew, you might ruin the machine. And I'm going, why? It's just water pumping through an espresso pod and like, go away. So if I'm, you know, complaining to you that in two months my Nespresso's broken, I have no one to blame but myself. Um, but anyway, yesterday I was like, I'm kind of tired of coffee. I want something else. And I've been seeing all these fitness people on Instagram. They've been promoting these super green mixes. And I was like, yeah, okay, finally it's time to go crack and get one. So I went to the local retailer um, to get a sweater because it was freezing down here in Florida. It was 44 yesterday morning and I needed a sweater. So I went to the clearance rack, and you know you're living in Florida when in January all of the sweaters are on the 40 to 70% off rack. <laughs> so I got a sweater. I think it was like 70% off. I got it for 14 bucks. Um, nice little sweater. Looks nice. Um, and then I walked over to the health food area, and... Um, I found a, they had a sale on super green mixes and I found one with caffeine, the equivalent of two cups of coffee in this particular super green mix. And I thought, yum, I'm going to try that one. And it had everything else in it too, like probiotics and antioxidants and all kinds of stuff. So I've had three servings of that. I had one yesterday morning, one yesterday evening before a long evening of, of parental responsibilities. And then I had one this morning and I'll have another one this afternoon before another long evening of parental responsibilities. Um, but I feel good. And I still, I'm, as I say that as I'm sipping a cup of coffee, which is my second one of the day anyway. So I'm just walking contradictions. Um, good thing that those the no coffee was not my New Year's resolution because it would have been busted on January 1st. Um, so it's not the allergy medication speaking. It might be the, the wheatgrass powder that I inhaled accidentally when I took a sip of it earlier and realized that I hadn't blended the entire clumpy scoop correctly and half of it went up my left nostril. Uh, but when I say we let them love two-thirds of the world... I'm also referring to 1 John, and if you go to 1 John 2.15, it talks about the threefold love of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And we let pastors, we spiritualize the lust of the flesh, and 
the pride of life. We definitely spiritualize the pride of life for them because we let them get away with boasting about how big their church is. We let them get away with boasting about how many books they've written. We let them get away with boasting about all of their ministerial successes. Um, we let them, we even boast for them. Oh, he's such a man of God. Oh, his wife is so amazing. Oh, his children are just phenomenal. It's unbelievable. So we do the boasting for them, and we let them get away with the boasting. So we're definitely all complicit, pastors and congregants alike, on letting them love one-third of the world. Um, and you say, well, what's the difference between the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh? Um, you know, there's been a lot of debate, a lot of written, a lot of stuff written about that. But I would say, you know, the the flashy, braggadocious nature of much of evangelicalism uh, would fall into one of those categories. And maybe it's the lust of the eyes. You know, maybe it's the modern-looking sanctuary with the with the crazy light shows. In fact, we visited. Uh, just for poos and giggles over Christmas break. we Actually, before Christmas break, we visited uh, Radiant Church here in Tampa, and I almost had half a mind to take up a class action lawsuit against them for permanently damaging my retinas with their laser light show. I'm not kidding. I, I, I saw spots for like two hours after that service. These green lasers kept blasting me right in the back of my retina, and I was like, I'm just trying to read the one chorus on your lyric slide and every four seconds you're hitting you're searing the back of my retina with this neon green laser light it's not helping it's hurting it's actually hindering the spirit i'm assuming that the spirit was within five miles of that church <laughs> you're so judgmental i don't know The wind of the spirit blows where it wills, just as the wind of my nostrils blows wheatgrass where it wills. Wow, it's still in there. That's green, and it's not the snot. It's the it's the wheatgrass. And well, the wind of the spirit blows where it wills, and it may have been blowing in the opposite direction of that particular facility and the corresponding satellite campuses on that particular day of worship. And a few people asked me, they were like, how could you go from a conservative Presbyterian church to visit some, you know, crazy startup church like that place? And I said, you know, they're just so aggressive and they're, they're expanding like crazy and they're just down the street from us. And I just wanted my kids to experience it, you know, because then hopefully they would see, wow, we, now we kind of understand why dad has been so cautious about all of this personality driven nonsense in the church. And it, I guess it could have backfired on me tremendously. I mean, they could have been like, yeah, I want to get slain in the spirit. Hook me up with the laser show. But they, uh, our daughter just sat there with her ears plugged the entire time. Um, and our three boys were like, uh, yeah, let's get out of here. And we, we endured the entire service. Um, I think I had bleeding eardrums at the end, too, because, man, that drummer was way too loud. Put a, put a little plexiglass cage around you, young man because you are banging away for the glory of God um, or to impress some, you know, some high school chicks in the front row. I'm not too sure. Uh, but man, 
seared retinas and bleeding eardrums. It was quite the rude awakening to this uh, aging conservative Presbyterian who may be a former Presbyterian after working through this current debacle of pastors and pornography. Um, who knows? But <laughs> that he said, uh, my favorite line of that particular day was he, he said, and I quote verbatim, I'm quoting him verbatim, and if you doubt me, you can send me an email to podcast at shefin.org. And uh, I'll send you the audio clip from his website, assuming he hasn't heard this and then decided to scrub it from the site. But he said, quote, God has given each one of you a gift to make money, and he has given me a gift to spend money for eternal purposes, so let's get together. And at that point, you know, my soul was... Uh, you know, it was already on the floor. It went, you know, 10 feet under at that point. It just wished that it could circle the toilet bowl and get out of the facility. But no, he had a couple more points to make. And uh, that particular church remained clogged. The plumbing of exiting that church remained clogged for the next 15 minutes. But as soon as those doors opened, I bolted. I made sure to say hi to one of the 152 greeters who were there with their you know, Instagram frames if I wanted to take a picture and put hashtag, I love Radiant. And I grabbed a cup of coffee on the way out. And the worst part about it is the cup of coffee was like 40 degrees. Nothing had been sitting there. Their volunteer team had poured the coffee way too early in the day. And I got a cup of Joe, which I was going, okay, at least a free cup of hot coffee is going to, uh, you know, make up for that debacle. And it was, it wasn't even lukewarm. It was like, it was like room temperature Aquafina or something. It was stanky. And that's what contributed to me deciding to do the green mix. Not really, but uh, anyway, I digress. So, you know, that's the love of the world that we let them get away with. We let them get away with boasting about their ministries, boasting about their families, boasting about their physical appearances and their creative genius and all these things. And we let them get away with boasting about the uh, whatever, whichever category you're, you're going to put the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh in, as far as you know the the, the outward appearance of what they're doing. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're we're really creating a culture that lets these hidden, secretive sins, I think. Not just take a toehold. It's not like Alex Hanold climbing El Capitan, and you know he's got a he's got a toehold that's practically indiscernible. I mean, we're we're essentially driving, you know, uh, pulley hooks into the rock face for these things to latch onto. And I, I think that we're doing pastors a tremendous disservice by, uh, you know, continuing to play this game of setting them on a pedestal, being permissible in letting them love two-thirds of the world. And then we, you know, freak out and, you know, I'm never coming to church again because my pastor looked at pornography. Well, we created that environment. He, he had no outlet to confess that. And if he would have confessed it, he would have gotten whacked. So he didn't. And so then it builds up and the affection gets stronger and the, the deception gets more uh, tricky and more cunning. And 
oh, it's just such a mess. It's such a mess. We're cutting off one of the most powerful ways for sanctification, which is confession. The Puritans talked about um, the importance of confession, and they gave the analogy of a wound that's festering. And when you get cut and it gets infected, if you let it just stay infected, it's going to grow and the infection's going to, you know, the pressure in it's going to grow, the size of it will grow, it'll begin to multiply and take over other parts of your body. And this is, you know, this is back in probably the days of bloodletting. So what do the Puritans know about medical hygiene? I have no idea. But they're, they're you know, they said you have to cut the wound and you have to clean it. You have to flush it out. And, and that's what they equated confession to. And the fact that we don't allow pastors to confess these things um, is just a huge disservice to them as Christians. And, oh, but they're supposed to be blameless. Well, yeah. I, 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 I. Um, which I think circles back around to my next point. Um, you know, we, we hold them in high, high regard. We cut off confession to them as being a means for growth in their Christian faith. We permit them to love two-thirds of the world in other areas of their lives. And then we turn into the angry mob of men who bring the prostitute before Jesus and say, she was caught in adultery, stoner. So it, it's just, it's really sad across all fronts. It's sad that the, that the pastors choose to do these things. It's sad that we remove the remedy to them. Um, it's sad that we take up our pitchforks and axes and come after them like the, the mob who pulled the poor prostitute before Christ. You know, and Christ just sat there and drew in the dirt. Drop it in the dirt. Um, he drew in the dirt and he said, you know, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And if that doesn't have a humbling, diffusing uh, impact on your heart, even as I repeat what Christ said just now, um, you know, maybe you need to chart, see where you're at on it. Maybe you need to get online and take a, am I a Pharisee test? <laughs> what type of personality am I? Yeah, I guess the Enneagrams, those are big right now. Um, you know, there's got to be some sort of Pharisee test. Am I a Pharisee, a Sadducee, or am I a sinner in need of saving? Um, so yeah, I, I think you might be scoring a little too high on the pharisaical test if, if you're in that angry mob circling the wagons and you say, but Brandon, you're so inconsistent. That's all you've been doing for the last 18 months is circling the wagons and calling for the heads of these pastorpreneurs. Uh, again, in my estimation, pastorpreneuring is much different than pastoring. Pastorpreneuring is being Simon the Magician trying to wield the mysteries of God for a prophet. Um, pastoring actually has to do with caring for God's people. Two big differences. Um, and, you know, I used to think, you know, one of the reasons we ended up in the PCA is I thought, hey, this is one, you know, vein of the church where they 
are not embracing the pastorpreneuring so much. Um, you know, they're more involved with pastoring to, to care for people and to love people. Um, and those lines are getting blurred for me as well. They're getting blurred as well. Two more points, maybe three, and then we'll bounce from this uh, horrible topic of pastors and pornography. Um, uh, sip a coffee for a second. Take a breather. Let's take a breather. This is like the intermission. It's like it's like chitty chitty bang bang. The intermission when you're like, I can't take this movie anymore. And then the intermission screen comes on, and you're like, eh, maybe a bucket of hot buttery popcorn will let me get to the end. That's a that's a tough movie to get through. Like that that it's it's silly and it's goofy, but they could compress it by at least half. I mean, there's no need. No need. The grandpa porta potty scene. I mean, if it wasn't off the rails by that point, I mean, the grandpa porta potty scene, it's like, I mean, I don't even know how to describe that. It was fully off the rails right after Toot Sweets. What came first, Toot Sweets or the 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 haircutting machine? My my Dick Van Dyke chronology is uh, my Chitty Chitty Bang Bang chronology is a little bit off the mark right now. The haircutting machine with the old bamboo, the old bamboo, dilly dilly little bamboo. That's what you know. What if we're gonna go the route of pastorpreneurs, let's just turn it into a full Broadway production. Like I don't want some amateurish high school guy bursting my eardrums with his amateurish drumming. I want Broadway quality. Dick Van Dyke-esque dancers jumping over bamboo sticks and putting on a dog and pony show. Let's just take it the whole way. Why not? What are we doing? Let's let's take the governor off this thing and let's just own it. If we're going to go that route, let's just turn it into that. Turn it into a Cirque du Soleil. Let the pastor swing from a pulley and preach while he's flying through the air on a trapeze. Uh, maybe shoot the worship pastor out of a cannon. Let him land in a foam pit. Um, I mean, seriously, let's just do it. Let's just P.T. Barnum, Siegfried and Roy this thing up. Let's get some live tigers on there running around chasing nursery children. Um, I mean, come on. What are we doing? We're so timid. It's like we have one toe in the pool and the other toe is sort of still out. If you're going to go off the rails, just go off the rails. Ay, ay, ay. The old bamboo, the old bamboo. Yeah, so Dick Van Dyke, I don't understand. Chitty, chitty, bang, bang. E he, he. Fun, goofy, kind of silly. And then by the time they get to that cave and they're singing the bread song to all the poor orphans, ay, ay, ay. I mean, it's like put an ice pick through my heart. Please. That is just too much. It's too, too stinking much. Um... Yeah, we'll just hop right into, um, we'll hop right into, I think, the remedy for this stuff. And obviously the confession is a big one. The, the ability to confess your sins one, you know, to one another is a big one because that contributes to our growth and sanctification. Um, but the first one I, I wrote down is the power of a superior affection, um, the power of a superior delight. And this is to pastors, this is to myself, this is to anyone listening within earshot of this thing. 
Um, whatever, whatever vice you currently find yourself wrapped around the axle on, whether it's pornography or alcohol or clubbing or money-making or, I mean, what else would there be? Meth? Fentanyl? You might be, I mean, if you've done fentanyl, you're probably dead, so you wouldn't be listening. I read that 2,700 pounds got confiscated at the border, which is enough to kill every American. Really? 2,700 pounds can kill 300 and some million people? That stuff must be potent. Um, whatever vice you're wrapped around, the thing that is going to solve it, remedy it, I mean, obviously beyond God's forgiveness and his work in your life, is this concept of the power of a greater delight, the power of a, of a greater affection. And in my observation of being a Christian since 1996 and being, you know, working in the church pretty much right after that as an intern and then staff and blah, I've shared all that crap with you before. So 23 years of being Christian in the church, observing things, every, every vice that different Christians get caught up in, it's because their affections they get convinced that that is the ultimate joy. Making money is the ultimate joy. Um, boasting in your success is the ultimate joy. It gives you the biggest buzz. Online pornography gives you the biggest buzz. Um, getting drunk gives you the biggest buzz. Being greedy gives you the biggest buzz. Um, whatever it might be. Living autonomously gives you the biggest buzz. Whatever it is, you're, we get wrapped up in these things because we think that they are the ultimate joy. And, I, and I'm just blown away that pastors don't talk about this anymore. We don't, you know, pastors across the board, they, they, they want to they wanna take the mysteries of God and reduce them down to, well, here's three things you can do to blah, 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 blah. And they're, they're, they're wanting, they're weak. They don't have any power in them. And there's only one thing that's powerful enough to unseat, uh, dethrone, whatever vice it is that has currently sitting on the throne of your heart, and it's learning that communion with God through the Word, through prayer, through Christ, that communion with God himself is the ultimate joy here on earth. And it baffles me that I have not heard a modern pastor say that. Maybe, maybe Rob Norris at, at Fourth Pres in D.C., maybe Todd Smedley up there, maybe a couple others, I, I, but nothing readily comes available. Everybody wants to argue these theological points. They want to argue, oh, the 95 Theses was so good, the Reformation was awesome, oh, this and that and this faction, and we defend this position, and we articulate our statement of faith like this, and blah, blah. None of it matters. The only thing that matters for your soul is learning to commune with God himself. You go, what does that mean? Exactly. You've never heard about the concept. So, of course, you're going to say, what does that mean? But there's this, there's this funny concept in, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 6, that says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And again, I'm going to just verify that because I don't want these points to be uh, taken and dismissed because my act, ooh, he doesn't even know his Bible references, temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Stop doubting yourself, Brandon. Just roll with it. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your bodies are 
temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. And then he goes on, and it might be in James where he talks about that. Do you not know that God yearns jealously for you? I think that's James 4, maybe James 2, James 4. It's the book of James. We'll just leave it at that. That God yearns jealously um, for us. And so this concept that, you know, we don't understand these things. We do. We have not been taught that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why, why did the veil rip into people? When Christ died and the New Testament writers say that the veil was torn in two, why? Because they wanted to redecorate with a different piece of cloth? No, because God's presence in the Holy of Holies was no longer contained in that particular region of, of, of physical space, and it burst out of there to flood the hearts, minds, and souls of anyone who would call in the name of Christ. That's the only thing that will get you unwrapped from these, and I've got to take this sweater off. Man, it's getting hot in here. It's steamy. This phone booth's getting hot. Maybe that's why Superman was Superman. He was like, you know what? I can't wear this trench coat in the blazing New York summer heat. Um, and I've got a long way to go. And I've got this stinking tie on and this black wool trench coat. And it's 109 and the Manhattan air is uh, stifling. So I'm just going to bust into this phone booth and put on some spandex and some tights and cool things off. I'm guessing that's what happened. That is my, that is my, uh, that's my guess. God yearns jealously, jealously. It's got to be James 4, James 4, 5. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Do you guys see the connection here? Um, so the first remedy here is the power of, of a more powerful, uh, more cherished affection. And I've, I've shared this in previous episodes. I don't remember which ones exactly, but, you know, it's like the idea of if, if you, you know, if you've never eaten meat before, like let's say you've never had beef and let's say that you want to, you, you want beef. And you go and you get a Big Mac and you peel the Big Mac patties out of there. Big Mac patty whack, get my dog a bone. <laughs> oh, that'd be a funny parody. Turn children's rhymes into Big Mac patty whack. Um, what was it? It wasn't Big Mac patty whack, but hey, I'll, I'll roll with it. Big Mac patty whack. So you pull the Big Mac patties out and you eat them and you go, eh. That's pretty good beef. I like that. And then you go to like Stony River Steakhouse in Atlanta, which hopefully they're opening one soon in Tampa. And you or, and you get their bone-in ribeye. And you go, what on earth was I thinking with that Big Mac patty whack nonsense? That stuff is disgusting. This bone-in ribeye is phenomenal. It's seared to perfection. It just melts in your mouth. It's medium, medium. It's cooked to perfection. Just a little bit of pink in the center. Delicious. Um, that's what we're talking about here. And the, the power of a, of a better affection 
and that's the, the remedy for any vice that a Christian is struggling with is learning that communing with God's presence is the ultimate pleasure here on earth. And it's what heaven will consist of. I don't know how else to state that. Um, it seems to be, I, I can't state that any more clearly, I don't think. If I, if, I, if I can think of a way to state that more clearly, I'll try. But if you're dealing with loving the world in a particular capacity or more, you must learn that communing with God directly through prayer, through reading the word, through his indwelling spirit is the most um, pleasurable experience for the Christian. Um, second thing we'll talk about here is the image of Leviathan. And if you go to Job and you look at Leviathan, there's this, there's this picture where God is questioning Job um, about the power of Leviathan. And he says, can you take Leviathan and lead it about by the nostrils? And the picture is one of, you know, imagine a fiery dragon or a dinosaur. Imagine Jurassic Park with Chris Pratt and he's running around in some glass ball going, oh my gosh, I can't believe these dinosaurs are still alive. I thought we killed them 9,000 times. What's going on? Hee-yah-hoo-ha. Um, Got to ring the box office register. Uh, and so imagine one of those T-Rexes in there. And God is essentially asking Job, can you take one of those T-Rexes by the nostrils and lead them about? Say, hey, bad T-Rex, you come here. I'm going to grab you by the nose and I'm going to lead you about. No, he'd chomp and he'd bite you in half and your bloody corpse would be lying there and your legs would be twitching. And everyone would be complaining on social media that this wasn't a PG-13 rating because the violence was so grotesque and they're going to boycott Spielberg. But that's what God is doing with the imagery of the Leviathan and asking Job, can you lead it about by the nostrils? It's a rhetorical question where the answer is obviously no. And you say, well, what does a stupid dinosaur and Job grabbing it by the nostrils have to do with anything related to sin? The Puritans, um, Spurgeon, others, they use that as a metaphor for the power of the sin nature, for the power of being dead in our trespasses and in our sins, in the power of our worldly affections. Our love for the world is the, is the Leviathan. It's the T-Rex. And God is essentially asking you, what, you think you can take that? You think you can control your depravity and lead it about as you please? The answer is obviously no. And there's a book that you might want to read. It's, it's, it's a great book. If you've never read Puritans before, you're probably going to go, man, this is some heavy sludge. It's like, it's like the equivalent of the super greens mix. If you don't shake it up in a bottle and you get to the last half inch at the bottom of your nice kitchen cup and it's just sludge, you're going to think it's kind of heavy. Um, but the sinfulness of sin, um, is, is a tremendous, tremendous book, and it, it explores these concepts of how we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And the, the depth of our depravity is such that we can't just lead it about as we choose. And my point in saying all of these things, in addition to not teaching people how to commune with God personally, um, you know, when we reduce these sermons to, we reduce scriptures to, here's three takeaway points for you to implement today. 
those points are they're superficial attempts to control this Leviathan, to control this T-Rex. So we're this is another reason I think why we have, you know, why we have pastors struggling with pornography, why we have probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Christians struggling with pornography, um, gambling, drugs, workaholism, love of money, bigger houses, bigger cars, fancier boats, the whole nine yards, um, is because we don't know how to commune with God, and we treat... We don't, we don't understand the, the, the depth of our depravity. We don't understand the power that is there in the deadness of our sin. And so we think, oh, we'll just throw a little leash on this guy and just befriend him. And it actually reminds me of a story I saw yesterday, a woman in Indonesia. She was keeping a 14-foot crocodile as a pet. And they don't know if she was trying to feed it and she fell in or if the 14-foot cro croc jumped out of the pen and ate her. Oh, look, another spam call from Toronto. It must be a Friday thing, because I think last Friday I got the same exact spam call from Toronto. Um, or Ontario, Canada. I said Canada last week, Canada. Um, anyway, she got they, they, the, the co-workers found her the next morning half of her body. Um, the croc had devoured half of her, her body, and all she had left was like part of her torso or something. Disgusting. Um, that, but that's, that would be a perfect modern-day example of Leviathan. Leviathan is a 14-foot croc, and our little take-home points for practical living are slipping into, you know, we're tossing little crumbs and, oh, do you want some chicken nuggets, croc? You're my friend. You're my pet. And he's going to chomp us and kill us. Um, and the third thing I'm going to share, which might you might find alarming and surprising um, but it's it's something that I share with our boys as it relates to this particular topic of pornography and sexual temptation in our culture um, and I don't mean to be crass but I, I, I just mean to be um, honest with the reality um, size let's talk about size um, you know if, if you spend any time scaling the universe uh, you know how minuscule we are, like in like mind-boggling, mind-bogglingly slow, <laughs> slow, um, small, mind-bogglingly small. Um, to give you a refresher, um, if the Milky Way, okay, if we're going to represent the Milky Way as it relates to the size of Earth's solar system, follow along. The Milky Way is 100,000 light years across, okay? How big is the Earth solar system from Sun to Pluto in relation to that 100,000 light year uh, span? And the answer to that question, um, we could break it down into terms that we might understand. So if you, if you consider taking a ream of printer paper and you turn it on its side, okay? So you take a ream of printer paper and you flip it up 90 degrees on its side. And then you multiply that for three miles, okay? So just imagine a sidewalk, uh, three miles of paper going down the sidewalk. Well, three miles of printer paper would represent 100,000 light years in this particular scale analogy. So if three miles of paper is the Milky Way, the Earth's solar system from Sun to Pluto would be a single sheet of paper, 
It's the thickness of a single sheet of paper. So on one side of the piece of paper would be the sun. On the other side of the piece of paper would be Pluto in a three-mile stack. The thickness of one sheet is the entire Earth's solar system. And I calculated out and I thought, you know, we talk about, oh, we're going to go explore the universe. Yay, Elon Musk, we're so grandiose and we're just going to build our space tower of Babel. Um, so I calculated out, if you got in the fastest space vehicle that we have ever concocted, which was the Atlas rocket, which reached a speed of roughly 25,000 miles an hour. Um, so let's say that when you were born, you pop out of your mom's womb, they toss you in the spaceship, and they blast you off, and you go 25,000 miles an hour for your entire life, okay, for 75 years, which is roughly the average age of a human right now. You go for 75 years out into space. I might meet Captain Picard and Lieutenant Worf. Um, you would cover four sheets of paper in 75 years. You would go the equivalent of four sheets of paper in a three-mile stack, which is the Milky Way. Um, and you go, wow, that's tremendous. Yeah, it is. But it gets even more tremendouser <laughs> when you stop and ponder. The Milky Way is insignificant as it relates to the distance to other galaxies. And one of the farthest known galaxies that we have detected at this point is 13.3 billion light years away. And if the Milky Way was three miles worth of paper to get to that closest galaxy, or that the 13.3 the billion light years away one, that would be the equivalent of like 400 and some odd thousand miles worth of paper, which is stacking printer paper from the Earth all the way up to the moon and back about two thirds. So we're talking about size here. What are we talking about? We're talking about size. And you say, well, why do you bring up the size? Why do you bring up the fact that we're so small? And it's something that I tell our boys. You're going to let six inches, maybe in my case, eight or ten inches, um, you're going to let the size of your male anatomy control you? Do you realize how small six inches is? And I don't mean to be crass here. But I actually Googled it, medical journal, average size of male anatomy. Six inches, we're going to let six measly inches blind us to the grandiosity of an eternal, infinite God? Are you absolutely freaking joking me? And you go, wow, I didn't see that one coming. I didn't know we were going to get into size comparisons. Um, but it does evoke a laugh from my boys when I tell them, you know, well, in my case, eight or ten inches. Um, you know, they think that's hysterical because it's boy humor. But even then, even for the well-endowed ones, um, it's minuscule. I mean, the entire Earth's solar system is a blip, and you're gonna let you're gonna let less than a less than a foot. control you. It's absurd. It's the height of absurdity. And as powerful as I think the bluntness of this particular point is, I really truly believe that if you don't get the communion with God down, 
and you don't understand the Leviathan nature of your depravity, this point will likely fail you as well. But I throw it out there as one final plea to your senses that if you poo-pooed the communion with God, well, that's too mysterious and I don't like it and I don't really know what he's talking about. And you, you poo-poo that I'm not that depraved. I mean, Hitler was 50 times worse than me. And mass murderers. I'm no Ted Bundy. Um, I'm no botanist. But I've never seen no plants growing out of no toilet. Um, <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. So if those two, the, the, the two first points of communion with God and understanding the power of your depravity as it relates to your destruction. Um, if those two go over your head and those two you're like, eh, I don't like what you're talking about, this is just one final like desperation plea of saying, consider the absurdity of that. Less than a foot controlling you. It's absurd on a scale standpoint. Ay, 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 I don't, I don't know how to get that across. Um, any more fully. And to take it out of the realm of male anatomy, we could apply it to, um, you know, we could apply it to anything. If it's a Corvette or a car or a, or a convertible, what, they're 20, 20 feet long? So you're going to let 20 feet control you? Oh, but I need a bigger house. You're going to let, you know, a, a 5,000 square foot house or a 10,000 square foot house ruin you. Um, so I think we I think we're well served if we consider the scale, and we look at how small these things are, um, and it, and it really is absurd. If you have a sober mind, it's absurd that something that small would ruin your experience of infinite, eternal, vastness and glory. It's just absolutely absurd. So what I've been telling people at our particular uh, church is, I think 1 Peter 4.8 needs to win out now. Um, you know, above all, love one another earnestly, for love covers a multitude of sins. And as I've been sharing that with everyone I've spoken with at our church regarding this particular topic, um, something has become readily apparent. It's jumping off of the proverbial page like a sore thumb. <laughs> I wonder how many analogies I can just like metaphors I can roll on top of each other. Um, jumping off the page like a sore thumb, whatever. Uh, is that 1 Peter 4.8 is only accessible if, as a community really, it's only accessible if you have been making those deposits to begin with. And I think my estimation here is sadly, and I've talked about this in previous podcasts, but sadly, um, our church's insistence on doubling down on the fourth commandment, um, tripling down on the fourth commandment, quadrupling down on the fourth commandment, our insistence on making mountains out of molehills, our insistence on uh, you know, having maintenance masquerade as ministry, all these things that I've opined about over the last 18 months or 14 months, whatever it's been. Um, the well's dry. There's, there have been no deposits made into the bank of love. That account is 
incredibly dry. And so here we are, everybody, you know, I, I share that verse and then I'm realizing, wow, that's a, that's a dry well. As much as I want to try to extract water from that well, it's dry because the church has spent the last three years especially driving home these non-essential things. They, they might be essential for their denominational identity, but they're not essential to Christian living. They're not essential to Christian sanctification. And you go, yes, they are. Why? I can uh, we if we if we did a if we did a diagram, if we charted out the denominational affiliations of pastors that have succumbed to sexual scandals, it would, in my estimation, be sufficient evidence to debunk the idea that denominational affiliations and denominational distinctions have any bearing on the ability to slay the Leviathan of our depravity. They don't have any catalyzing power to learning how to commune with God himself. So, or does that leave us? Um, lots of praying at the moment. Lots of praying, lots of discussing. Um, uh, visiting other churches, trying to encourage people at our church. Um, yeah, tough times. Tough times at Ridgemont High. Um, anyway, I could recap all these points, but I feel like it would be uh, beating a dead horse, um, so to speak. So if you need them again, go back and listen to them. Um, but I will say, I'm, I'm going to repeat the two most important ones. You have to learn how to commune with God and you have to be afraid of the Leviathan of your depravity. And if you do those two things, um, th those are the two, th those are the salves, the, the medicines, the the, the prescription, I, I don't even know what word to use. They're the real life spiritual things that are going to contribute to your Christian sanctification. So first and foremost, seek to commune with God through his word, prayer, um, him indwelling in your, in your heart, um, and seek to have Christ and his finished work and his merits on the cross slay the Leviathan. Don't feed it the chicken nuggets of superficial points taken from a sermon. So we got that in an under 60 minutes. Um, I don't know what we'll be talking about next week, but I do plan on doing these every week. So uh, a little long in the tooth. Have a good weekend. Um, have a good weekend. Have a good weekend. And uh, yeah, adios. We'll see you.